0: It's the Hoffman Show, Team 980. We're always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge movement, Linnell Willingham, sitting in with Craig Hoffman, or sitting with Craig Hoffman, I guess. Is Craig Hoffman going to join us. We're doing the ultimate role reversal here today. It's Overreaction Tuesday here on the Hoffman Show. And guess what? Hoffman is going to be the one doing the overreactions.
1: Wait, I am. I was supposed to prepare those for this segment. Yes,
0: you were, my friend. I How thought I was just
1: going to show up to set you up to do your usual usual deal.
0: No, I actually had. I actually went a completely different route this week in terms of my overreactions. None of them are related to the burgundy and gold. They are all big picture overreactions, correct?
1: Um, I mean, I'm interested in big picture overreactions. I don't know if there's anything super imminent uh, that that needs to be discussed. I I could throw one at you. There, I have one like more pressing commander's take, if you like it. And oh, you know I want it. Ones. Okay, um, I think we have reached a point where Jamin Davis is borderline criminally underrated. And obviously that's in the news because Jamin Great. gets, uh, his, he's hurt and, and is going to be on season-ending IR. But Jamin Davis is a good NFL linebacker. Um, it's hard to be anything better than a good NFL linebacker these days. The position is so challenging, like unless you're Fred Warner or a select few other guys. But Jamin Davis is... A fine NFL linebacker who has had some big spots where he's been exposed to doing a job that's, you know, way harder than it should be because of a variety of reasons. But a lot of the the vitriol and dislike of Jamon Davis, I think came from his draft position, which is not his fault. Um, at the end of the day, is he worth a first round pick? No, but I think people still think he's he's terrible. Like he was the player that he was as a rookie, and he's just not. He's a good NFL football player. I don't know what that means in terms of his contract after next year. That doesn't mean I'd pick up his fifth year. Ah, option. there we go. So how much do you but, really like
0: him? Is what I ask.
1: Like I want to see what he does next year, and then if I like if he's willing to take a reasonable deal, I don't have linebacker salaries in front of me, um, so I don't know like what that would look like to be you know a, a league average linebacker. I would be moderately interested in in bringing him back. Like, I don't think he needs to be replaced because of play. It might be a value play where the draft pick is going to be that much cheaper and it's worth it on that level. But at the end of the day, like, we're talking about a guy who is a pretty solid football player that brings a lot to the table. And I think that is not what most people think of him.
0: Yeah, I don't think that of him. I'm more, to me, Jamin is a better athlete than he is football player right now. I do think... Like, in today's day and age, for him to be as much of a liability and have the inconsistency that he does in coverage, I think it's, like, it's hard to be a linebacker in today's day and age and, like, not be able to cover consistently. Now, physically, I think he should be able to cover. He's fast. Well, like, he's got not be
1: able to cover consistently. Because I think that's where people get it twisted. Like, it's he's not heinously awful in coverage. I don't and think I he does that's... a good
0: job getting hands on guys. I think... I think he gets beat off the release a lot, and his makeup speech
1: should allow him to capitalize on that and catch My up. My question is, why is he put in so many man-to-man situations in space? And like that is. But a But isn't thing that, that the job
0: of a linebacker in today's day and age? Like, if you're playing, like, look at what, look, think about what the Niners ask Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw to do. You got, well, if you're a backer there, in today's day and age, you two can't of the best cover guys in the if, if you can't carry the number three up the seam in today's day and age at linebacker, you're probably not a damn good one.
1: Well, I think he like that is different than being one-on-one with Saquon Barkley on the outside or D- Devon Achan outside. Like That's a different ask. And I think the commanders too often are like – like think of how often Antonio Gibson gets one-on-one matchups when he's split out against linebackers. Right. Not with the ease that Jamin Davis seems to be put in those situations, which tells me schematically that there's something else you could do about that, whether yeah. that's using your safeties in a different way, whether that's just deciding, hey, if we get that look, we're going to zone it up. Well, like – they put him in those man-to-man situations, and those are tough asks to guard the best athletes in the league in space. Yes, is he a better athlete, quote-unquote, than linebacker? Sure, but he's a premier athlete. He's a, you know, 6'4", 250 pounds and runs a 4'4". Like, of course he's a better athlete than he is a football player. But that athleticism shows up in major ways. The way he chases guys down, makes the, the Russell Wilson play, the Bijan John Robinson interception against Atlanta. like The biggest defensive plays they've made this year, and I realize it's not a long list – he has made. And so I think we've gotten to a point where people think he sucks and he doesn't suck. Well, He's a good a NFL hyperbolic. football player. He's a good NFL football player.
0: Yeah, I think I'm. my thing with Jamin is, I already said this, is just kind of figuring out what he is. Like, is he a three-down player? Is he somebody that you would rather use more situationally? Because I think with this athleticism, the sky's the limit. I just think... And I think this goes to what Ron spoke about yesterday. They're asking him to do a multitude of different things. It's hard for him to get comfortable at one particular position, which is which is I true as
1: old as time with this staff. Well, that's another thing
0: that I could never understand with this group. From your vantage point, what do you think is the best way to deploy him moving forward? Because he is one of the guys that are going to be under contract next year when this new regime comes in, and he's got a fifth-year option to earn, or try to earn,
1: or contract. Yeah, I mean he's a, to earn. he's a he's a. A will linebacker that needs a good that is at his best when a good mic is next to him. And whether like that mic doesn't have to be like we I don't know what it looks like with a premier mic next to him, but he's played his best ball when like Cole Holcomb was in charge and like really helping him out. and when will or when Cody Barton got comfortable. like there was a two game stretch this season when Cody Barton was healthy and and finally like settled in, and he and Jamin were playing together before Cody got hurt and now Jamin's hurt. And Jamin was a pretty damn good player in those games. So the sample size is small this year because Cody was swimming upstream uh, again, just terribly mismanaged earlier in the year. And like, he's not elite. So it took him longer than an elite player would to adapt. Um, But yeah, like if I can get a really good Mike linebacker who's smart and knows the defense and Jamin's like, Hey dude, that's your go get the football. That's, that's the best deployment of his skills. And he's very good at that run chase, tackle shed block. Jamin Davis is excellent.
0: Yeah, that is for, for sure the strength of his game. Moving forward, man, he is, he's one of those guys that I'm really bummed out that he's going on IR because the final four weeks was supposed to be about guys like him that are going to, you know, continue to showcase themselves for whatever regime is going to come in here or the other 31 teams around the league if the regime decides they want to move on from him. So uh, damn sure bummed out for Jamin Davis. In terms of other overreactions Burgundy and gold specific. Last week when I filled in for you, I haven't gotten your, your, your take or stance on this. Last week when I filled in for you, we discussed Olu Fashanu versus Jaden Daniels at the number four overall pick for the Washington Commanders. Washington got a lot of help this weekend from other teams in the NFL. Uh, shout sure out to Titans last night doing the damn thing, beating Miami. If the season... Tommy,
1: DeVito, Tommy De, hey, When you do it, hey, it, actually, you, it actually
0: looks right when you do it. Um, but no... Washington, though, if the season ended today, would have the number four overall pick in April's draft. I believe Matt Miller of ESPN dropped his first mock of the- by the
1: way it will be a guest on Take Command this week.
0: Ooh. Where's that? Uh make which sure you- been a Thursday. Make so sure you make sure you subscribe. check that out. Um but Matt for some reason had Washington picking fifth. Um, they are fourth. He had them taking Olu Fashanu at five. Let's play hypothetical Harry here. When we get to April, what do you think the decision is going to be at that time?
1: I don't have any idea. Like, it depends on who gets hired and what they think of Sam Howell and how Sam plays. Like, I realize that's not a very sexy sports radio answer, but, like, the honest-to-God truth is the the biggest thing that can change over the next four games is what everyone around the league thinks of Sam. If Sam goes and lights it up over the next four games, then there's a pretty good chance he's your starting quarterback next year. And if that happens... I'm fine with that. If he starts 16 through 20 of his NFL career, he's on the right trajectory. Like I'm pretty psyched about that if I'm an organization with an incumbent good quarterback. If he stinks up the joint, then i probably easily move in the other direction. Um, My guess is that I like Sam Howell. I believe that he is made up of the right stuff, and he's going to perform well enough to earn his spot. Um, But it also depends on what you think of Jaden Daniels. Because if you think Jaden Daniels is like an all pro caliber quarterback, you take Jaden Daniels. And so I I think that's the thing that people are going to have to reconcile is like, there are two separate evaluations that you have to hold up next to each other. Is Sam good or is Sam great? Is Sam bad? Like where on that scale is he? Do you think Jaden Daniels is good, great or bad? And then you act accordingly. Like it's actually in some ways, it's not that hard that part of it, but why I get to sit here and get paid my salary to, to talk on into microphones for it. Um, is because I don't actually have to do the evaluation. The scouts and GMs that actually have to do the evaluating, that's where they get paid a lot more. And um, they off, I, it's kind of funny because they actually aren't right that often, especially, especially with that position, right? Yeah. But they're still better than yeah. everyone else at doing it. Right. And that just goes to show you, and this is, by the way, another thing that I would be talking about and considering if I am the future commander's GM is the easiest evaluation position-wise is offensive line. If you're good at offensive line in college, you are very, very likely to be good at, a, at offensive line in the pros. If you're good at quarterback at college, there is no effing way to know how good you're going to be as a pro. And if you're, like, not that special in college, you could be Brock Purdy. So There's it's, that. It's, it's really, really, really hard. And what you've seen with Howell is he can be good in the NFL. So you have to be really convinced that Jaden Daniels is going to be better than that. And that's, that's the choice they're going to make.
0: Everyone keeps talking about how attractive this job is. It's a hard job, too, because the talent evaluator that comes in, you're going to have to choose between Sam and the quarterbacks that you're scouting. You're going to have the picture of, of Sam colored differently from the folks in the building, and then you're going to have your own evaluation on them. So I just think while it is an attractive job, whoever gets hired, they're going to have to earn their money right away because you've got big-time decisions to make off the rip.
1: Sure. But like, I've, I've got to make like every team needs a quarterback. And so unless you are inheriting, like, this is what makes LA kind of a crazy job. You don't inherit top five quarterbacks very often. Ever. Joe right. Herbert's maybe not top five, depending on, you know, how he's played this season and whatever, although it would help if receivers catch the ball. Well, um, But like, you don't, you don't inherit 24 year old, 25 year old top flight quarterbacks ever. And, the chargers are going to be that. And by the way, it's what makes Chicago uh, potentially really attractive is you could inherit a generational quarterback. I know that, that, that Gruden, Jay Gruden has said this on our air. Like he would go to Chicago because you get to go to the hall of fame because you're going to get to coach Caleb Williams. And apparently Jay is that high on Caleb Williams. I don't have a scouting report on any of these guys yet, which so also makes it harder to answer your question. But I, I think if you're looking at Washington we're actually going to do this exercise, uh, when it's not my day off tomorrow and I'm back in the chair because I didn't get selected for a jury. Yeah. Oh, you By did? the way, crazy story, um, about that, that I'll tell tomorrow on the show. Um, but happy to to hop on here. Like if you're, if, if you're ranking the things that are important to you, ownership is the most, would be the most important thing to me for sure. And I would rank the Washington ownership situation over every other job that's going to be available. The second thing is probably pay, and Josh is Harris is gonna pay uh, just as much as the next guy. I mean, Tepper is gonna pay out of his, you know, what? But like, <laughs> you're gonna have to to get anybody to, go to work yeah, for exactly. you after what he's done. But then the third thing I would say is resources over roster, and like those thing, things are tied together. But like, if I'm gonna have to make a quarterback decision, I'd rather have the fourth pick and eighty million dollars to play with. Right. And, by the way, an extra high second rounder to potentially move up if I need to, then, you know, a lot of the other situations that are going to be available, which, again, is what makes Chicago so weird is because they actually are kind of in the ultimate situation. They have two top, you know, seven picks probably in this draft, plus a ton of cap space, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
0: We will see. It's going to be very interesting to monitor this through the final month of the season and then getting into the offseason. I was Joking with Anthony, I wonder what sports talk radio was like in Philadelphia or Kansas City. The damn sure, not talking draft right now on December twelfth, uh, two thousand and twenty-three. You're going to hang around with us for one more segment, Craig.
1: Um, I'm going to make a call here because it's my show, Lino. It's five forty-eight, bro. Just double the break.
0: It's double the break. Double so the let's break just
1: then. let's just let's just keep going.
0: Let's just keep going. Then I wanted to I wanted to get to this with youngest you. in
1: charge movement. Next lesson: clock management. It's harder oh. than it looks, kids.
0: My, my clock management is uh, similar to one Ronald Eugene Rivera, so <laughs> so there's that. You had Sam Fortier on yesterday, who broke the story about monumental sports, Caps and Wizards potentially uh, wanting to move to the Commonwealth. Now, we got a little bit of news on that about an yeah. hour ago. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time, Glenn Youngkin and Ted Leons are uh, set to address the media, and I think it's at that time they will officially announce their intentions to move the Wizards and the Caps to, I guess we're talking Northern Virginia or somewhere in Virginia?
1: Uh, Potomac Yards, yeah. Potomac Yards. So this Yards. is the Alexandria area, kind of somewhere between, like, Old Town and Reagan Airport, kind of in that part of the map.
0: I have been annoyed is the word that I would use to describe my, my feelings towards, you know, Mayor Bowser and the D.C. government and how thirsty they are for this Commander's Stadium I don't blame Ted Leontes' one iota here, though, and here's why. First of all, the overreaction, I guess, in all of this is I think it's a really bad move for the Wizards. I don't think the Caps fans will continue to travel, but the Wizards are already struggling to get people to fill up Cap 1. You move them to Virginia, I don't know how much of the Wizards' fan base exists in Virginia. It feels like Majority of their fans reside in D.C. and Maryland. I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have. It definitely worries me. If the product improves, obviously people will go anywhere to watch good basketball. But, man, I think Mayor Mayor Bowser just has bigger fish to fry than worrying about stadiums. 43% of ninth graders, Craig Hoffman, have exceeded their excused absence limit in D.C. public schools. Yet Mayor Bowser is worried about stadiums? should be the last thing that her and the D.C. government should be worried about. Nats Park is in the middle of a damn war zone. Capital One Arena is in the middle of a war zone. Part of why Ted Leonsis wants to move to Virginia is they're not giving, and there's not a strong enough police presence around Capital One Arena. He has helped him and Abe Poland have helped build up that downtown Chinatown area and how he's got to move because I don't want to give money. If there's someone they should be giving money to, I think it should be the Caps and the Wizards, not the
1: Commanders. I don't know how your economics work. If it, the logic you just said, like if money is finite, which is a whole separate economic topic, like why would I give six hundred million dollars to a billionaire when I can put it towards public schools? Like it's that, it's at the end of the day, it's yeah. the same budget. So like I, I don't know. I thought about this with. a lot. I, I've thought about this a lot from, from multiple angles. I think from the team's angle, I agree with you. I don't think this is, this should be their first choice. I think it's finding a way to stay in the district uh, and that area theory in theory is a perfect place because it's incredibly centralized. It's accessible by basically metro's right like there. Me- the Metro is right there. Um, and the red line coming down from Maryland, um, you know, the, the it's not that hard to get to from the blue silver line um, to transfer into there. And then obviously the green yellow line runs right through gallery place as well. Um, it's, it's tremendously convenient. There's a ton of parking garages around. Um, but, and, and this is something that I really want to explore on the show tomorrow. And like, I'm going to try to get like urban developer type of people on to talk about this because realistically that downtown area since A. and put the MCI center there mm-hmm. in 2000, whatever it was, or late nineties, like it has steadily gone up, but there was a huge data point that changed the trajectory of everything. And that is the pandemic, that area is incredibly dense in office space. People don't work in offices anymore. Like, we go in when we have to do stuff, although ironically I'm sitting here uh, joining you from my home studio, but like even radio. Like, I do the show from home once a week. That hybrid work is here to stay because too many workers were like, see, we can do this from home. Why would I spend an hour commuting from my right. suburban home every day? And, by the way, during the pandemic, a lot of people moved out of the city because they're like, we want space. And so you have a very different economic model that we still are coming to grips with because it's still less than five years old. And like understanding the the business model of what it means to exist in a downtown urban area. And specifically that area of this urban downtown in DC is something that like mayor Bowser, the city council, the business owners, the developers, the citizens, like sports fans, not sports fans. We're all trying to figure it out. And so if you're her, like I don't I'm not and by the way, like Ted Leonts is talking about taking his company public. You know, he's he's looking to buy this and do that. Like you're telling me you got enough money to go buy the nationals, but you need six hundred million dollars from First, me as yeah. a city? Like, get lost, man. Like I don't I don't I am not in the business of I giving billionaires money. Um so I hear I, I think that there's some element of that. And by the way, most of citizens of DC agree with me on that. So, you know, politically speaking, so I, I that's going to be unpopular. I would say this. Even with the
0: Commanders stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Commanders to me is different because there's like a history and a spiritualness to it. And at the end of the day, like entertainment does cost money. When you go to the movies, it's not about investing in the movie. You go because you want the entertainment. And so if we have to pay as citizens of whether it's D.C., Maryland, or Virginia to go to this thing closer by, that's a price I'm willing to pay on some level. I think the, the final point I'll make, though, is this. A lot of stadium developments around the country and around the world actually are not good economic boosts for a city. And I think what this could, this could wind up being a win win because Ted's going to get his space and his entertainment district and and the money that comes with that and all of that in Virginia. He's also going to get a ton of public money. And the economics in Virginia are way different, obviously, than they are in DC. And it could be a chance to be like hey we're not going to we're not going to keep capital 1 arena for concerts and things like that like we're going to knock this down we're going to build affordable housing we're going to build grocery stores we're going to build a community there and allow people to live in a way that hopefully attacks the other issues you're talking about and brings down crime and helps education and there's there's a lot of stuff that could happen there from an economic development that could completely transform that area if you lose capital 1 arena in a way that's positive i haven't I don't have the expertise or have not. You already got on. it. That's
0: but I, I don't even want to talk about it no more because I was like thinking, well, what do they do with the space? Boom. They got to find public housing or, or find affordable housing. I mean, that's a huge problem all across area. the
1: city. And so, like, that's a I don't have, have the expertise. Yeah. Like, I'm not a am not an urban developer. I am not a sociologist. Like, I want to talk to those people because I want to understand it better. But I do know enough on the big picture that there's a lot of precedent for that. And I think that makes a lot of sense from the city side of it. Also having the basketball team and 300 nights of events at Capital One Arena and the hockey team and, and you know, and a co- concerts and all that kind of stuff it's also can be good for the city. Yeah. But they have to figure out how to reshape that area because of <sighs> a lot of different things. And all these problems are also intersectional. But, again, that's getting way off the sports track. And now we're yeah, in a different well, show. Yeah, to
0: speak to that about the concert, Anthony, I think you went to the Rod Wave concert, correct? I did indeed. How many cars broken into after that event? Over 300. Yeah,
1: I didn't drive. It's, but yeah, that did happen. It's a
0: it is a rough area, and I know crime exists everywhere, but
1: <sighs> it does. Well, the thing is about crime, real quick. Like crime exists where there's people, and cities are densely populated, so oh, crime rates actually aren't yeah. that different in cities versus urban or suburban uh, or rural areas. It's just like how many people do you have packed into a square mile, and in a city, there's a lot. So the crime is higher because there's more people, but the rate isn't actually that much higher, uh broadly speaking.
0: A lot to discuss and tackle over the next couple of months in terms of the commanders and where their stadium is going to go. We'll get some information tomorrow uh, about the future of monumental sports with the Caps and the Wizards. Craig, appreciate you giving us some time, my man. I'm going to kick you off your own show.
1: Yeah, back to my day off. <laughs>
0: that's Craig Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. Final half hour of the program left to go on the other side of this break. Let you hear from Montez Sweat, who had some pretty damn interesting things to say about the culture of the Washington Commanders. That is next here on the Hoffman Show.